1: Okra? Oh yeah, you've never had okra when it's done perfectly. Hello and welcome to the Slate Political
2: Gab Fest for December 30th, 2021. The Conundrum Edition. I'm David Plotz of CityCast. I'm not in Washington, D.C. We're all together for the very first time since the pandemic. Hello, Emily Bazelon sitting right next to me in New York City.
3: Hello, David Plotz. I am so glad to be here with you guys.
1: Hello, John Dickerson, sitting right next to me. I wanted to be sitting in your lap, but that was probably going too far. But to feel the vibration of other human beings in a closed space, it's amazing. It's so great. We are... But that's enough of it. We're... we're,
3: (laughs) Cut that off right there, John.
2: We got a conundrum show. You guys this year sent us an epic list of questions. There are so many great questions this year, and... There are literally 800 questions. One person, one single person sent us 400 questions, which were great, just by himself. But we have so many questions to get through, so let's get going. We're going to have a guest coming in. Dwayne Betts is going to join us very soon to talk about conundrums, including conundrums that he has for us. So hold your horses. We'll be there in a second. Let's get started. The one I would like to start with is from Harris Feldman, to whom or what do you owe the most money? In other words, what have you taken the most benefit and joy from in life per dollar that you've spent on it? And the idea, Harris says, comes from the fundraising emails they get from college. You spent $200,000 in college. Did you get $200,000 of value back from college? Whereas you have a coffee mug that you spent $7 on that brings you pleasure every day. So, Emily.
3: So I'm going to answer the question, but then I want to pose a question about the question. So my answer is my bicycle, which cost, I believe, $160 probably 12 or 13 years ago because I got it when I moved back to New Haven. And I've ridden it countless times and put a little bit more money into it over the years, tuning it up, but not very much. And when I compare that to how much you know a car costs or – Really, a, an airplane flight. I mean, it's just crazy. Re- the value of a bicycle <laughs> compared to what it, the, all of the money it saves you and all of the pleasure it brings and utility seems just amazing to me.
2: Bicycle for me, for sure, too. But I would say uh, two things. One is my cat.
3: Did you buy your cat? Yeah. Okay. You have to so buy I a guess cat. that makes sense. Because I was thinking, the, the I, I, my general rule in life is that the things that matter the most are either free. Or enormously expensive, like expensive (laughs) that you can't even price them, right? Oh,
1: like what? What would be in that category?
3: I mean, like a super fancy trip or something, right? That's like, yeah, your 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 health, your health, your
1: health, (laughs) your health,
2: your
3: house, yeah, yeah, your health is a good example, exactly. Like, how do you put a price on your health? Or like all the dental care that you had as a child because your parents just like took you to the dentist, right?
2: Okay, but so you want to limit this to kind of physical, a physical objects? I think object. so, but
3: I think your pet is, I think your cat is a good choice because you paid for your cat. I was thinking about this dog that I'm looking after right now, who's very sweet, not my dog, who is bringing me enormous pleasure, but I didn't pay anything for her.
1: You've had that dog for a while. It's starting to feel like a common law relationship.
3: <laughs> Don't get me started. Yeah. But yes, that is all true.
1: All right. I have a bunch of spiraling questions off of this, but I won't engage in them because this is only the first question and the conundrum is going to be how to not just answer one question I'm going to show, is uh, the the notebooks, the field note notebooks, because they're not that expensive. And the biggest thing is they inculcate the habit of mind, of, of note-taking and observation and curiosity and I've had them for 30-some-odd years, and that instinct, even when if I don't have it with me, has defined my professional and really personal life. So, they're
3: your vocation and your avocation. Yeah,
1: yeah, right. exactly. Plus, they're tactile and, you know, they're non-digital, which also is a comfortable thing that I like to literally physically touch. You know those Silicon Valley bros who who buy a, a square of tungsten and they go touch it and pet it once a year? What's well, I, tungsten? It's, it's a some very kind heavy. of heavy metal.
3: Oh, okay.
1: And when you're in super rich, you get into petting tiny blocks of heavy metal. I don't have that ability, or desire, or interest. But I have this notebook in my back pocket, and it gives me, you know, uh, comfort. Do you it.
3: have them all somewhere collected? I do. Going
1: back to 1989.
3: Wow. So it's like an extension of your brain and your heart.
1: Yes, exactly. Well said, period. Next question.
3: Would you rather be slightly trapped or slightly lost?
2: This is so easy. Slightly lost is pleasant. It's actively pleasant to be slightly lost. Okay, you are saying
3: that because you are never lost. I am lost all the time. It is not actually that pleasant and there is not really i don't know slightly lost if you're only slightly lost you're not lost like Definitely lost. great right you. like lost is that feeling where you really don't know where you are and you're probably late and you don't know how you're going to figure it out
2: but isn't this just isn't this question just a proxy for claustrophobia versus agoraphobia or and i'm abs- i'm massively claustrophobic like i don't even want to be in this space with you guys i feel slightly <laughs> trapped just being in the studio right also now. you were going we f-
3: on before about how happy you were to see us
1: yeah, well, it wears off quickly. I, suppose. Um, I cycle in life feeling lost and trapped. So for me, uh, this is a, both are a constant state of of um, alternate reality. But um, also, when you're trapped, is it physically or mentally? Physically.
3: I mean, feeling trapped is very unpleasant.
1: You ever have been in an MRI? Where they give you the red button to push. I've never had a stronger feeling than when I opened my eyes, even though I was told not to, and saw that I was in this metal tube. And and the desire not to press the red button was the greatest struggle of my existence.
3: Okay, so you would pick lost, I think, over trapped. I mean, I think I would too, but I have to say, as a person who's constantly lost, it's no fun to really be lost.
1: Next one. Croissant, bagel, or donut? You can have only one breakfast carb for the rest of your life. Emily, which do you have?
3: I mean, bagel. What can I say? I'm a Jewish girl. Plus, I don't even like donuts very much. They're just like too. When I eat a donut, it's just like too much. I can't. It's so much sugar, so much whatever else is in there.
2: I can 100% uh, join you on Team Anti Donut. Donuts are the most overrated of all foods, but. Definitely not bagels. It's croissant. a croissant. Croissant by far. A good croissant. I had one. I just had one. That's what I had for yeah, breakfast. Yeah, a
3: good croissant is really, really good. But the, if are you including like cream cheese and lox? I mean, you really want to give that up?
2: Sure. Yes. yes. You
3: don't. Yeah. Care. yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> Happily. No, you gotta go with the bagel.
2: Well, you guys are both new, more New Yorkers than I am. If you could strike one word from the English language, what would it be?
1: Huh. No.
3: <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> only when said to you you want to retain the power no. to say no yeah
1: exactly uh,
2: one word this is so easy the word is learnings oh you guys, god yes you guys are not you are not in business calls the way I am what that, does that mean in it, I'll tell you what it means. It means exactly what means another word means. Phone. It means lessons. Uh, it's like we've got to take the learnings from that ex, that uh, that uh, project we did. And you're like, no, the lessons. Why are you saying learnings? Why do you have to say learnings? It is the most awful word. It has infected every damn meeting I'm in. And I, when, at my last company, I had a rule that you couldn't say learnings. And I was like, that's an asshole rule to have. But I, every time someone says it, I just want to claw at my face. It's not one of those words which is invented because there was no word for it. It's a word that was invented even though there's a perfectly good word.
3: And I guess maybe that's because lessons seem to schoolhouse, and so they needed something business-ish. Yeah. That seems bad, though. Hmm. I don't really have one. I don't like it when people use grow as a verb that takes an object, like grow your business. Like that use of grow kind of drives me crazy. But it's Kind of minor.
1: I hate so many words, so it's hard to whittle it down to one.
3: Right. It's Uh, true. Really, um, any word that's overused becomes a big drag.
1: Yeah. If you could magically change your hairstyle for a weekend, what hairstyle would you choose, David Plotts? Uh, this is a, this question embeds in it a kind of freedom for you because it suggests that you have lots of hair to, with which to make this choice well what kind of hairstyle would you choose and what would you do while you had it
2: well so there's this French soccer player named Olivier Giroud, and Olivier Giroux has this incredible beard that is like it's it's just this wonderful luscious beard and then he has I don't know it's not a Pompadour, but it's very it's very vertical, and then just kind of sweeps back. And every time I see him, I thought, "This is the most handsome man in the world." I would like to be Olivier Giroud. So I would like Olivier Giroud's.
3: Would it go hair with your face? D-
2: no, because I don't have Olivier Giroud's magnificent uh, physognomy. Otherwise, I don't have that nose or that chin, those luscious lips that Olivier Giroud has.
3: But you'll take what you can get. Yeah.
2: What about I you, want Emily?
3: Really long, curly. Hair, kind of red ish, like auburn, that color, and l- braids, like really long braids.
2: Like your Anne of Green Gables. Anne exactly. of Green Gables, all grown up.
3: It, which is so funny because in Anne of Green Gables, her hair is this deficit that she's always trying to pretend it's not red and calling it auburn. But then it turns auburn when she grows up, perhaps. But I don't know how long it is. Anyway, and it has what, to be curly also.
1: And what would you do with it?
3: We'll put it in braids, also wear it, you know, like, I've never had, my hair, I don't know what would happen if I, when I had longer hair, it just sort of grew out in this very bushy way. And so the idea of, like, long, curly, flowing down hair.
2: Oh, I would take my hair, I would go to, like, really trashy European discos and, like, just (laughs) hang out. That's what I would do. And and just be, you know, just be the the bell of the ball. Yeah. What about you, John?
1: Uh, <clears throat> Probably be long hair, longer and thicker hair. When I was in high school, I tried to grow out, you know, have long hair, and it just it was not a healthy look. Uh, what would I do with it? I don't know. I'd go do something that, that required or that, that allowed uh, the, uh, the wind to be flowing through your hair. I don't know. Something adventuresome.
3: Yeah, you definitely need some wind. It's like you need to be standing on a hilltop.
2: Would you rather live in a world where JFK was never shot or John Lennon was never shot?
1: Oh, that's an interesting question. Lenin, because think of all the things that happened after JFK was shot that have improved the lives of millions of Americans that that happened as a result of the momentum created by Kennedy's death.
3: Now, do you mean. Oh, the interestingly. Poverty? Like that LBJ's and presidency. Civil rights. The Voting Rights Act. Civil rights. Yeah. Huh. And I
2: mean, you think those are those are don't happen or just they're accelerated by.
1: I think they're accelerated. I mean, when he said turn a martyr's cause into a program, he was building on. And also, by the way, he's in office able to do in in Congress what what Kennedy couldn't. I mean, that wasn't just because he had more skills with Congress, but it also happened to, happened to do with the national movement Moment behind him. Mm-hmm. But do you think that
2: is Kennedy's assassination, does it open up the kind of chaos that emerges in the late 60s and the kind of political, where political assassination becomes a tool and the the kind of roiling, or is that roiling going to happen anyway? And Kennedy's assassination is just a just happens to also occur. Because I have I, I I'm think- such an I'm such a stability freak that I would be like, I that was an act that destabilized the country and led to a kind of destabilization, a political destabilization that continues and has only accelerated ever since. And wouldn't it be nice to to have less of that political disorder?
1: I think James. Earl Ray is a racist asshole who's going to act anyway.
4: In, Did he, he kill Martin, Martin Luther, Luther King? King yeah. Okay,
3: sorry. And then also you have the assassination of RFK. Is assassination of Malcolm X before JFK? After. 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 It's okay, so you have three others that are really momentous and terrible. But I don't know. I feel like the question is you can decide to just isolate it to JFK. I mean, the thing about JFK that's so tantalizing is that he was no great president, but if he'd stuck around, would he have matured? Although I don't think we have any particular evidence for that, right? But wait, can we and talk about? And also, you could
1: argue that if he stuck around, he would have been um, exposed.
3: Right. But, In fact, know. yes, and perhaps we what? should even want him to have been I exposed. I don't.
2: I'm unclear what the. I'm not a real Beatles fan, but the assassination of John Lennon cost the world. I understand that it cost. You know, it's a terrible tragedy when any person is killed. But I what agree. does it cost the world?
3: Like, what would the Beatles have done? I mean, how are we supposed to know this? But maybe John has some sense.
1: No, nope. I think that argues for. Keeping Kennedy.
3: If you, if only one soup could be the soup du jour on every menu, what would it be?
1: Pasta fajol. you
2: You're just saying that because your <laughs> beloved wife made it for dinner last and night, it was and she makes yeah. a very
1: good pasta fajol, So
3: good choice, yeah. solid choice.
1: I'd say pho. Like is pho a soup?
3: What?
2: A, Whoa, what
1: that's uh,
3: a whole, that, that might be a whole uh, other conundrum. Uh, show yeah. man. I mean, fun I mean, you is a just good wait, how
2: is pot-au-feu
1: soup? Yeah, I don't
2: know. Yeah, I was, I wasn't stews. sure.
3: I was thinking of meals. No. no, no, no. What?
1: Stew is a is a.
2: How
3: is that a? Well, okay, a not soup. stew, but you're picking soups that are meals.
1: Yeah, well. Uh, okay, what? Is what your, are you gonna what's have? Your answer?
2: bone
3: broth? Well, I was thinking of miso soup, which is yeah, mostly broth, but is like truly soup. I mean, it's oh, l- what <laughs> truly soup? It's
2: your, so your conundrum is soup is, or your your you posit soup is a thing which is which has a single texture and oh. is thin. And does not fill you up?
3: I kind of <laughs> think that's what I think soup is. Yeah, because like, I so was also thinking of spinach soup. What's or, French onion
1: soup in your mind,
3: then? Uh, it's like it's on a the stew. edge. I it's don't a like stew. Soup. <laughs> I, yeah, it's not it's a, a stew. stew. <laughs> I don't like French onion soup. I was also thinking of gazpacho. French onion soup
1: but is like a kitchen accident. You know, it's like, oh, I spilled the fromage, and it's all over the top French of it. Exactly. It's fantastic. Oh, come on,
3: man. What about <laughs> gazpacho, except not in the winter, it's which cold. is not the point it's of It's cold. I know. Why would you want on the menu every day? It's so good. Any takers for split pea?
2: Oh, God. Not even for today. (laughs) Like on a cold, cold day, a split pea soup is adequate.
1: Otherwise, bleh. If you had billions and billions and billions of dollars, what is the one luxury that you would indulge in? I'll go first. New York real estate. I mean, living in a place in New York that you could afford.
3: (laughs) I was thinking you would rent out some amazing resort or vacation place and invite everyone you know for, like, four days a week. Just, like, everyone you know and love, just collect them in some super luxurious spot.
2: Would they be resentful?
3: I mean, not if you paid for it. Maybe you have to pay for them to get there also. But that's Hmm. okay, because—and you get to pick, and it's like a hundred people. It's like a big, it's like a destination wedding, except no one's getting married.
1: Hmm. Although they might after this weekend of indulgence, right? I don't know. I'm sure. I think having a yacht would
2: be amazing. I really, think a yacht would. I hate the water. What? What? I, what? I, I hate water. water. <laughs> I hate water. I hate boats. But just. I don't know if you just watch... People on yachts seem to have a good time. Oh,
3: God. I think you're like imagining a different world for yourself. So I like my choice because it's an experience. You're always supposed to pick experiences (laughs) over (laughs) material possessions. Experience of doom. Yeah. Uh, I don't believe you.
1: I think you want... uh, hmm. Because owning the thing doesn't make you into the kind of person who would like it. Uh, That is a good point. All right. Fair enough.
2: Hmm, But New York real estate... I don't know. None of us, I feel like, have gotten to the... Thing, which is like that? What it's like deep indulgence. I mean, Emily, yours is nice. It's very generous, and it does it does seem it would bring pleasure to lots of people.
3: Then also bringing people together is such a glorious, joyous thing to get to do, right? Because you're not just having your own but fun; it, you're watching but, all but these but other what, But what
1: she suggested, as generous and uh, wonderful as it is, borders on ruining the question. Because isn't the question about personal indulgence? And if you're going to say that your greatest personal indulgence is doing things for others, I'm not able oh, to be oh, in the oh, company. Ooh,
3: of that it's kind also of, for ooh. me, though.
1: I think, but I actually think Emily's getting at something. I think
2: the person who is having the best time as a billionaire right now is Mackenzie Bezos. Yeah, because she's like giving it away. She's doing good, and people are loving on her, and she's getting the psychic benefit. And like those assholes who are, you know, who who you know have just spent you know one hundred and seventy thousand dollars on a mountain bike, or who've put themselves in a space capsule and gone up, uh, you know, a hundred miles. Like right. they not having then it's your over. And totally. People sort yeah. of
3: mock you. You have uh, to do something. I mean, I also could imagine some personal indulgence like having a personal trainer come to my house every day or some crazy thing like that, but in the end wouldn't How do you This is the thing I actually really wonder about being uber rich is how do you just not feel a little silly? And how does if it once you can have everything, like how do you really enjoy anything anymore? Going back to my the best things in life are either free or priceless.
1: Um I don't know. I don't know the answer. But I like your redefinition of personal indulgence, and I'm going to seek to be a better person. Mm.
2: This episode of the Gap Fest is brought to you by Aura Frames. Are you looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It is super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. Aura frames in the notes that I have here says moms like Aura frames. I'm here to tell you that is like the truest statement in the world. I gave my mother an Aura frame. She absolutely loves it. She's also always hectoring me to keep adding new photos to her Aura frame so that she's got great new photos every week. So think about giving your mother or grandmother or aunt or, sister or friend, an aura frame for Mother's Day. It was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting auraframes.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best selling frame. That's A U R A frames.com. Use code GABFEST at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. And now, dear listeners, you don't need to listen to us <laughs> conundrumize because we, we have a certified MacArthur genius to do it for us. We're now joined by Reginald Duane Betts, who is a poet. He's a lawyer. He is the director of Freedom Reads, which is this wonderful uh, entity. He's just started to put libraries in prisons. He's been a GapFest guest before. He joins us here in the studio. Welcome, Back to the GabFest, Dwayne. Is there something that we've said in this first segment that you would like to correct?
4: Yeah. So, you know, we're all obsessed with words. And and I had a word in the English language that I would get rid of. And it's the N word. And, and the reason is because it is such a conundrum in itself, right? Because it's like, who has permission to say it? And when people exercise that permission, how do we respond to it? And it's like one of those problems that, unfortunately, will never, ever actually be untangled. If I had a list of all the white people who told me I couldn't say the word, you know, I would actually be a billionaire.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But are you taking it away from black people?
4: Uh, Yes. Yes. And And, and you're
3: rubbing it out of all the hip hop?
4: I'm rubbing it out of all the hip hop. I'm rubbing it out of the history. And the problem is that that's probably the most, uh, that's probably the word that's most embedded with a history. So you probably will have to imagine a new history but mm-hmm. the invention of that word has created a, a cycling of histories that i think um <clears throat> you lose the you lose some good but i think it the 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 bad that you get rid of outweighs the good that you lose, so, and
3: are you? What's it? What's amazing too is to think. Okay, if we didn't have that word, would we also lose the subordination that came along with it? Like, are we losing the whole idea of this pejorative?
4: I think I'm not. I'm not that confident in humanity's ability to create. That many pejoratives that are so destructive, and and I would just bet on humanity failing. You know, so like you, when you know, you're
2: saying that we wouldn't create one that's yeah, destructive, yeah, it about, would be less destructive, yeah. right?
4: Like think about clown. Someone calls you a clown, yeah. you, you feel bad, but right. it's never going to become the n word, right? In the scale of things, that's the one word that has somehow managed to eclipse everything, at least in the United States. Well,
2: mm-hmm. the, the, the the I think the the counter or the counterfactual for you is if you look at other cultures. Do they have words that are as destructive?
4: I, as I've tried that word. Yeah, I've tried. I don't. And if I they don't, don't
2: think... then your argument is good.
4: i, I tried, and if, even if they do, the word is just destructive, and that's why it could exist as just a destructive entity,
3: as but, opposed to the turn we have where right. black people have reawoken, reawakened
4: the word. Right. right. Because that's why it becomes so complex. Because people try to say, "Well, wait a minute, I want to use it, and I feel the same way you do," and it's like, uh, "Maybe you don't." And that's why you got to get rid of it because it, it, it's just it's, it's a conundrum in itself.
3: Right. It has created a particular set of pathologies, that's for sure.
2: And this, dear listeners, is why we bring Dwayne on to immediately <laughs> bring some substance to this. But now, <laughs> now you have to endure a question. Okay, uh, Dwayne, why don't we start with you on this one because you're a great reader. If you could transplant the characters from one book of fiction into another. What book and characters would you introduce some new
4: friends to? I want to put Mister in in the Homewood um, series and mm. John Egg-Watman's stories about Homewood, and and it, so it's these short stories that's based in Homewood, that's like based on his community, and and it's a, a whole family narrative, and you get the whole history. and I want to put Mister there because I think with the color purple, you you didn't get a whole history. And so you, you get to really sort of despise this dude. And I wonder what we think about him if if he existed in a whole framework of, of men that stretched back a few generations.
3: So he's not just an abusive character anymore. He gets to have his own history and context.
4: And he might still be an abusive character, but he's an abusive character with a father, with an uncle, with a cousin, who has to be abusive within a community, not just within within his home. Because that's the thing that, that Wildman did, is you get this whole feeling of just not the home being the—the the home is the epicenter, but you see everything else that's going on in the world, so it becomes uh, fascinating in a way.
3: Hmm. Although Alice Walker was using him for a really different purpose, right? To sort of like the vessel for all of this misogyny and abuse of yeah. women. I mean, I'm, I am like your answer. I'm just
1: what about, you, John? about that. George R. R. Martin, when he wrote Game of Thrones, said— you know, the Tolkien books are fine, but they're all about what you can do before you have power and that there needs to be... What I'm writing about is what the, the choices you have to make when you have power and how ugly that can be. So take all the Lord of the Ring char- characters and basically pick up after... Aragorn becomes king, or just put him into the Game of Thrones. Like, you know, Bilbo comes, like, walking down the path and then just gets smashed and, like, totally drawn and quartered in the first, like, three sentences and the book's over, right? But, um, and see if they could survive.
3: I want to take Dorothea, that's the name of the main character in Middlemarch, right? Right.
2: Yeah, I think so, yeah. And
3: so she gets really stymied by marrying this, like, incredibly pedantic scholar. I want to bring her into the present into some, you know, feminist narrative. There could be many. I'll try to think of one in a minute. But I just want her to be able to self-realize that a so frustrating. In Sula.
4: You got to put her in Sula. That oh, would be fantastic. Then she could burn
3: everything down at yeah. the end.
4: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Well that's I wanted to do that with the invisible man in in some modern in some modern event but I couldn't figure out what or what.
3: Right, like the most frustrated characters from the past, could we imagine them? I mean they are And have... also
1: where they are at the end of their books, which is like at the, you know, with the, this complexity and realization and then you want to I want to know how they would operate in a different context.
3: Right.
4: Would you This is this is now this is a real dilemma, right? Would you rather be the prisoner Or the correctional officer?
3: Can I be a prisoner who has, like, a a not a life sentence? Like, I'm going to get out? Can I choose? But but
4: you have to be guilty of some... You could be guilty of murder, and they only sentence you to 20 years.
3: Okay.
2: But it's a determinate sentence. You know that it ends.
4: You know that it ends. And you're a correctional officer who retires after 20 years.
3: Oh, right. I was going to say that... Maybe I would choose being the prisoner because it's like a determinant sentence and the correctional officer. But you're right, they probably have pretty good retirement packages after like 20 years. Well, yeah, prisoners
4: don't have good retirement packages. Definitely yeah. not.
3: And maybe prison, actually, prison guards are probably not like the police. They probably don't have some. Great oh, they've got unions.
2: Package. I mean, well, it depends. They do have like unions. Like California, they've got a great union.
3: Yeah, so. that's true. Um, oh, Let's see. It's hard to identify myself as a prison, as a correctional officer. On the other hand, you get to go home at the end of every day and be with your family.
1: Yeah, but think of what you bring home with you,
3: right? And what you've done during the day, which is on horrible. the other hand,
1: you don't have to have done. I mean, I suppose you could,
3: right? Try and, not
1: to be the worst incarnation of that job.
3: And actually, if you do that job with some kindness and compassion, you make a difference in people's lives, right, Dwayne? What do you think?
4: I'm 100% going to be a correctional officer. Yeah. You no question about that. You just asked me, like, would you rather have committed murder and have to live with that forever or have a job where you work at a prison, but you could make it whatever you wanted to make it? I think. But what's interesting is I think most of the people in the country right now, a lot of us might say prisoner. Well, but it I feels know, like right?
3: an identity that's somehow more politically, like, palatable, right. to liberals at least. I don't think – I'm not sure I think most of the country would say that. Well, and yeah, if, yeah. You I mean, if you think about it, your answer is the I obvious one. I mean, but one. the look at
2: the the suicide rates and ra- – it's an incredibly unhealthy profession. They don't guard.
4: track the suicide rates of people. A prisoner. Who- no,
2: that's a, no, that <laughs> was the thing. No, I was going to acknowledge that. But I do think it is clearly a profession where people who do it are very unhappy, stressed out. Yes. And they don't like it. And so it's – it is not a. It is not a profession you would ever choose. But of course, you would also not choose to to have be a prisoner someone. or have it. Yeah. to Well, except
4: we constantly choose both. I mean, and I think that's the conundrum is people constantly choose both, both to commit the crime and to be the correctional officer. And it's like I think those two are more similar than sometimes we publicly admit.
3: Well, and sometimes and, they come from similar communities. Right.
4: And I think I, I think I want to be. You, you remember. Um, Who who writes about education all the time? New York guy always writes about education. Um, Anyway, he wrote one book, and and, and the kid is like, I really just want to be a CO. And that was his dream, though, was to be a CO. And I was like, you know, I found that kid endearing because he didn't want to be a gangster. I personally think I would, sadly, opt for a CO. Man. People going to hate me when this airs. <laughs> but wait a second.
3: Being a good CO seems really important. Like it's, if you yeah. could, it's like being a good prosecutor, being a good cop. Yeah. Like we need good people doing those jobs.
4: Man, I just, I just went to the dark side. But I, 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 it's the easy one for me though. If you get to change the voting age,
1: driving age, drinking age, what changes do you make?
3: Voting oh. age comes down. Voting age comes down maybe to, certainly to 16. Mm-hmm. Germany is uh, doing this. They are about to do this. I think that it's a good idea. You look so skeptical.
4: That's, well, uh, <laughs> my kid is fourteen. I don't even. Uh, this is really close. <laughs>
2: well, Wait, so, would you rather have your kid voting or driving? I would certainly rather have my kid voting than driving.
4: Yeah. Oh man, that's a good.
2: Uh, driving is a nightmare. Oh when my your god. Children are driving. That is I, the scariest. You would
3: raise thought. the driving. Age? I would Damn, raise the driving. Yes. Yes. Oh, oh my god. Yes. Oh really? But I mean, I, I know they have accidents, but come on. Like, <laughs> it's such an important badge of independence for teenagers. It is. I wouldn't lower it, but I wouldn't raise it. It's absolutely
2: the most stressful thing I've ever done in my life is teach my children to drive. Well, you don't have to teach them
3: yourself. That's a choice. Well,
2: when you – and then when you watch them out in the world and you watch them driving, it's – fucking terrifying. It's it is
3: true, but I feel like putting it off longer infantilizes them. Like 16-year-olds yeah. and 17-year-olds need to be able to leave your house but, yeah, on their own. But
1: don't pass. don't be so carbon <laughs> exactly, <laughs> don't be so, don't be so carbon at home footprint person. You can take a uh, electric bus or you can take a bicycle you or you can You do not
3: live in Connecticut where, or, where the bus is. I'm go anyway.
4: yeah, I yeah, it I would to drink age Yeah, I would lower it to 18. I would lower it. I would lower it to 16.
3: Sixteen, interesting. I don't. I mean, want... I
4: think I think that people drink anyway at sixteen, and I think that that we have a culture of unhealthy drinking, and part of it is because we have a culture of silence mm-hmm. around what children do anyway. And so you could imagine. I think you could imagine. I started drinking when I was adjacent to sixteen. I was younger than sixteen. I was like fifteen, and so I, and nobody talked about it. I, I would lower the drinking age. I I just don't think young people have enough. I don't think adults have enough information to vote with, and I'm I'm just frightened that so You're gonna have a bunch my... of like
2: drunk non-voting. Teenage Teenagers, that's your plan. (laughs) Well, maybe they would
3: be happier that way, but here's another argument for lowering the voting age. Even if all the kids do is vote the way their parents do, which is what probably most of them would do if they voted at all, you're adding weight to young people, the power of young people in the society, and I think that would be... Healthy. I would rather we have so mm-hmm. many older voters. It's yep. really tilted good in point. that direction, and I Great don't think point. that's good because it it right. means and, that we and, don't value the and, future. And, and also,
2: it's voting is one of these things which you, it's it's habitual, right? And when you start voting, you you become a voter, and it gives people longer time to become a I'm just
4: thinking about Gideon Yaffe, who's going to be like, "Yes, that makes sense," and then, "Oh, you ruined my book because this whole book is premised on you can't send children to prison with adults because they can't vote," mm. and then <laughs> now we allow them to vote, and it's like, you know what? There is no childhood. Yeah. You, you could vote. You could drive. Right. You That's could drink. Point. Well,
3: it is all at odds with what we know about the adolescent brain and how people shouldn't be held culpable in the same way because their frontal lobes aren't fully developed. But I still think that we should lower the voting age and i think the drinking age 18 i I don't know what i think about telling kids in high school like i think i understand that they drink anyway but there's something it has to be somewhat illicit because it's a rebellion at least in the united states although maybe that's super unhealthy and dangerous i mean
2: it's to me it's totally crazy that we have people who are in the military
3: who can't drink who
2: can't drink we ask you to kill for the country but not not drink for the country well that's um
3: all right. Who would you rather have been reelected, Jimmy Carter or George H.W. Bush?
2: That's so easy for me. I think George H.W. Bush. But
3: think about what you're changing. Think and about what you're off. saying. David. No, no, no. I'm not like, so that means then what?
2: That means to me, the big thing that the reelection of George H.W. Bush does is that it stymies for. In, in, indefinite period of time the craziness of the republican party the republican that the moder the idea that you can be a moderate republican believing in legitimate institutions that you can raise taxes as a republican and operate from a position of of sanity as a republican survives and the kind of gingrich revolution is either never happens or it happens in a much less Toxic way, leading to, which then leads to all these other awful things happening. So I think it's a, I think it's the most important election of our lifetime. Obviously, I was as a Democrat, I would rather have Bill Clinton be president than George H. W. Bush. But George H. W. Bush was a very solid I, president. I don't think, but I don't think Bush and,
4: passes Eppudo. I don't think Bush passes EPIDO, or the Prison Litigation Reform Act, the Act. Okay. Okay.
3: Anti-Effective Death Penalty Act, which did terrible things to litigation for people. Right. Who well, are
2: there, there you go. Bengals. So. so Maybe, maybe, maybe even not even, but it's certainly it is certainly the case that the track of the Republican Party is absolutely different if Bush is reelected. Whereas if Carter, I mean Reagan, of course has it has a big effect. I mean but,
3: Reagan has a big effect. Yeah, John.
1: Well, it would make actually an interesting book because you because the death of the George W. Bush Republican Party has happened. I mean Donald Trump killed it. I mean he did everything from. Defeating Jeb Bush on the stage to laughing uh, and with Roger Stone laughing when Barbara Bush died. So, you know, really, really not a fan of the Bush family. So what you say is interesting, David, although if you think that Goldwater was a response to Eisenhower, two terms of Eisenhower, the idea that you'd have two terms of Bush and that it would quell the forces of radicalism in the Republican Party is unlikely, I think, because I think they only grow stronger. Gingrich abandons the the Bush budget deal and it makes him stronger and maybe doesn't make him strong enough to take Bush in ninety two. but he still is,, um, you know, a hero in and I think the the forces you say are still royal and are, are around. but but maybe, you know, you could think through how the Middle East maybe changes with four more years of attention. I mean, you can argue that round or flat. But here's the thing about Carter that's interesting. So Carter puts if you care about climate change, Carter puts solar panels on the white at the White House. Reagan removes them. But he he started a bunch of climate and environmental legislation and if you believe that it, that that was beneficial, then you're starting the clock that much earlier. And if you believe climate change is an existential threat to the planet, secondly, Carter had all these really interesting ideas about the presidency. They all backfired and they were all like they they, they totally f- failed, but but you if he had another term would he have been better at it in terms of trying to fix some of the problems? He was uh, trying to office? make the
3: government more efficient, right? And and do some cost benefit analysis. Now I'm channeling my husband's book, yes. Paul Sabin's book. Um which I recommend, public (laughs) citizen. But he had this idea through the Paperwork Reduction Act, for example, of trying to introduce some sort of rational cost-benefit analysis, which then the Reaganites pick up with and take in this very anti-government direction.
1: Yeah, and I mean, but the problem is he implemented a lot of his theories poorly. And so it was kind of the worst example, not the worst example, but an example of sort of something that sounds good but doesn't work in practice. Um, Anyway, he might have sorted through some of that stuff through the second term. I mean, I think you could also make a better Bush case, but I've been talking too long.
3: I want to say one thing about Ronald Reagan, which is that you could argue that staving off Reagan would be enormously important because he gives this veneer of kindness to this very virulent you know, program that screws over poor people, that makes it impossible to raise taxes on wealthy people, that says that the government is the problem that we are still living with and is just Full of terrible implications and he makes it all seem like you can do it with a smile and be super popular while you're doing it.
1: And also by today's standards, Carter would be considered he wouldn't be able to survive in the the Democratic Party. I mean, he was not liberal in the way people have come to think of him. Um, Remember that he had Ted Kennedy running to his left. So he would have been probably run out of
0: the party.
2: If you could live one day as another person, Dwayne, who would it
4: be? I'm Oh man, going—I'm going to say Michael K. Williams. Interesting. That's like a tribute to him. Yeah.
3: Before he died, obviously. This is Omar from The Wire, an actor who played Omar, I should say.
4: Because I heard him say something about his scar that I just thought was profoundly um, important and and how I I wish that we all thought about forgiveness. He said that when he got sliced across his face, he could have caused some people— To to like retaliate, and he decided he didn't because he said that he didn't, he felt like he wouldn't be able to live with the reflection in the mirror if he had done so. And we imagine the scar is like defining him because what the scar does and what it looks like, right? But he was like, the scar defined him based on what he did as a result of it, Mm -hmm. and that that act of of mercy or that act of calm was, was a difficult one to make, but it was the one that made him operate in the world post scar. In a much bigger way than he was, like priest God, right? So, plus, I think he was like a phoenix, and and he, you know, and and every day was a sort of act of of reclamation of the spirit. So, uh, I I would say, I would say him. Emily?
3: I mean, I have super frivolous answers to this. So, I would love to be, like, the most beautiful, exciting movie actress, like, Juliette Binoche, someone who's not only a great actress but also speaks French. I would love to just yeah. be speaking French. But also, I mean, I think I might pick, like, Serena Williams at the very top of her game because I just would love to know what that actually feels like. And maybe I would actually pick, like, Raphael the doll so I could find out what it's like to play men's tennis at the top of their game. Or Billie Jean King, who, like, completely... You know, is this pioneering figure who changed the game?
4: How do you not say Andre Agassi though? I mean, you're talking <laughs> tennis players. <laughs> yeah. You find it like
3: I'm anti mullet.
4: Uh, well, that's not uh, the, that, 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 not that was. That. But he does have <laughs> the best
3: tennis memoir.
1: I, I hesitate almost to give an answer because I'd like to give any of the energy of my answer to Dwayne's because I thought that that idea of embedded grace is is incredibly beautiful and that you spotted that is. Um, but I'm gonna just along the lines of what you're saying, Emily is. Um, is somebody like Jimi Hendrix for to know what it feels like to have flawless and to go from thinking a thing to making the, the magic of music. I mean, music musicians are magical to me. And to be able to do that, whatever the impulse is, it somehow comes out into a noise in the world. And the inter, intervening action of your fingers and the guitar and your hands you don't even have to think about that. Being able to have that magic for a day would for be pretty a day, daily.
3: right? Yeah. It's important that it's just yeah. a day, and to imagine, like you, I cannot imagine what it would be to have Jimi Hendrix's brain, right? Because you can't imagine what that interaction between your neurons and your fingers and your capabilities would be i wonder if you
2: have to think of something that you wouldn't you wouldn't feel heartbroken to lose also because Uh, you know you've you you have it you feel it you touch it
3: and then it's gone i mean also to be like an incredibly accomplished dancer i mean to imagine your body moving i was thinking of
2: simone biles to feel what it is like to have such incredible physical power and grace and uh, sense of prior perception, sense of oneself in the air, or maybe LeBron James or Michael Jordan at the height of his Jordanness, Although I think his psyche was terrible, so to be in his right, psyche, you have to you have terrible. to do
3: enough research to figure out who isn't like a twisted person inside.
1: Right, right. Well, but if if you are already twisted inside, then perhaps by comparison, you're actually doing better.
3: Perhaps.
4: You know, this is all an argument for why we read books, though. Like, oh, right. like yeah. books is, like, the closest you get to being somebody else, you know.
2: Closing out this last segment, then, what is the one book you would read to your kids? If you could read only one book to your kids, what would it be? Emily?
3: I, we got so much out of Danny, the champion of the world, in my house. I mean, it's hard to pick one Roald doll Like, they're all so... Whoa, <laughs> that,
2: that, that is not where I would go, but go ahead.
3: You know, I, I think it's really important to be able to separate the art from the artist on this one. And oh, I I, think I,
2: hate, it. I don't like the art either.
3: Oh, really? You'd okay, mostly. so I'm going to keep making the argument for Roald doll. and this is actually something my son Simon said last week when we were talking about something related to this, that... What he loved so much growing up about Roald Dahl was that Dahl takes children seriously in a way that if you are, like, a precocious kid or just a kid who wants to imagine that your psyche actually matters in the world was very, like, meant a lot to him.
1: The giving tree.
3: hmm Interesting. Heavy choice.
4: Well, life's heavy, man. It's true. Dwayne? You know, it's, I'm going to say something that was recent, and, and part of it is because, you know, it's the book that I've read to both of my children, but um, The Inquisitor's Tale. And um and it's, it's these three characters. It's this this black kid, and it's this um Jewish kid, and it's this, this like, farm girl, and they're all being chased, and they're trying to save books. <laughs> it's so on point for me, right? <laughs> 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 they're trying to save books from being burnt, and, and the guy is chasing them, and it's, it's just a tragic moment in, in the book that you think is tragic and it turns out not to be. But um, but you think that somebody's died. And I remember my son was just like, why are you reading this book to me, daddy? You know, and um, and the guy comes back at the end. And it was it was lovely. It was beautiful. And it was nice to, to, to see this world that was multicultural. And it was an invention. Right. But but you can invent the, the, the place that you want to imagine actually exists. And, and I just love that idea that you could set a, a, a fantasy novel back in time and make it. A diverse universe where these kids are basically trying to save the world. Uh, It was it was it was lovely. I would say that one.
2: I would say Frog and Toad, the Frog and Toad books, which Mm, I continue to read for (laughs) wisdom. I think they are. It's a books about a frog and a toad. The frog is a kind of ebullient, cheerful, optimistic. They're uh, the Ernie frog, and Bert of the, Frog and Toad. Yes, but, they, but the, it's just a, but super wise. It's a, and in fact, if you want to just get a little bit of Frog and Toad without uh, reading the books, there's a Frog and Toad bot, which tweets passages from Frog and Toad. And it's so good. Every, I get one every day, and you're like, wow, that is really wise.
3: What about Calvin and Hobbes while we're on the that walk? Well, that's back. very
2: similar. Calvin, Hobbes, and Frog and Toad are very similar.
3: Yeah.
2: All of these conundrums came from you our beloved listeners. They're really great conundrums this year, you all. And we've asked some of you to uh, to do your conundrums audibly for us. So we're now going to hear from some listeners directly. Joss, hit it.
0: Hi, this is Sean McPherson from St. Paul, Minnesota. Would you rather give up brushing your teeth in the morning or in the night?
2: Let's note that Sean McPherson is the, is the incredible tornado of conundrum nature who sent us hundreds of conundrums.
3: Many of which one. were great. They yeah. picked a few and this is one of them. Okay, so I totally first of all, the idea of parting with brushing my teeth even one time in my life is upsetting because it is the best thing ever. However, there's Wait.
1: Really? You're oh. like seriously into like teeth brushing? Qua teeth brushing. Me too. I really oh. think
3: it is the best thing. Yeah. Both the doing of it and the afterwards. Well, of it. sure. Yeah. The afterwards.
1: is Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Anyway,
3: if I have to have my heart devastated by losing a brushing of my teeth, I would lose it at night. You can't give it up in the morning.
2: I would give it up in the morning. <gasps> oh, dude. And then but,
3: go through the day. What oh about all the people God. who encounter you? Well,
2: befogging Just of humanity. Stay really far
3: away from everybody. But does that
2: mean I brush my teeth like five times? Does that mean I can't brush it at lunch? I think so. Doesn't that
4: mess with your enamel? What? Brushing it so much.
2: Nothing seem to. huh?
3: Dwayne?
4: Uh, I'm going to give it up at night and get a chew stick.
3: That seems like a good... Nice.
2: I think you can't give yourself something. You can't give yourself something outside the frame of the question. Oh, That's You can do whatever
1: <laughs>
3: you want, <laughs> man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna it's give
2: the
4: myself Kobayashi breath. Maru, and he's found I, another way. You, you still have to give it up at night, though, because... Because think about it, at night is just the morning. If you, if you brushed okay. it at night, you still got eight hours. And so then your breath smells like eight hours when you talk okay. to the first right, person. Fine. And fine.
3: also the Precisely feeling, you, once you go to sleep, you're done with the great feeling of brushing your teeth. Whereas in the morning, you enjoy it at least until you eat something.
1: Mm. Also, when you're asleep, your mouth is closed. It's an absolute you hope your of, mouth is closed. Yeah, that's true. What Who even knows? if it's open, you're all like, oh,
3: oh. I know. The I think mouth, it's obvious this the point.
1: mouth is an
4: open sepulchre. Okay, right. Right?
1: I, I, I withdraw I because I was assuming
2: I could then brush my teeth at, you know, an hour after <laughs>
4: And then, I then woke. you criticize me for adding something <laughs> to the brush. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Fine. All right.
3: Hi, my name is Anya Kaiser from Mountain View, California. If you could redo one year in your life, which year would you pick?
4: Listen, to I, I went to prison when I was sixteen. I, I, I would do that one again. Yeah, I would do that one better.
3: <laughs> mm, yep. <laughs> I think I might choose my sophomore year of college. I was kind of miserable for most of that year, and like didn't. I was a little. I was lost that year, and I. I don't know. Maybe I had to go through. Being yeah, lost. that's
1: the thing. It yeah. doesn't. The lost and the pain basically make you the person who you are. If you weren't. If you didn't have that f- uh, that's definitely the way I've felt about as I've been looking back on the moments where I felt most lost.
3: it's true. the things that make you more empathetic and more of a like full human being in the world involve suffering. I was also really miserable and I was like thirteen and fourteen. but I mean everyone whatever was. that's how it goes. That's, well, that's... it didn't seem to me at the time that everyone was miserable. I was more miserable than most people I knew. but yeah, I guess so. So I'm not allowed to give up misery. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, just because it has such a, a therapeutic uh, benefit in the great Mulligatani of
4: life. It's confirmation bias, though. You know, it's like, right. it's like you know what the most important year was? The, the one that was the worst. I mean, you know, it's like, because you, you want to find some value in that thing that was horrible. Good point. But it might have been, you know, your second great year that was the reason why you're so empathetic and amazing and not that horrible year. Right, right. That's people right. a... people
2: who have been through trauma are not, like, happier or better than people who haven't been through trauma, I don't think.
4: So many people think that. So many people think you are who you are and they think it's because you suffered. Right. And, and they think, I, somebody said to me, I, I so wish I had some of your experiences. I mean, you write so <laughs> It's like, you can have them. Like. Yeah. <laughs> well, this
2: is, I mean, I just, you
1: can have
2: I, them. I just got divorced and, and I'm a happy person and I'm happy after my divorce. It was a terrible experience and I'm sure it has changed me in all sorts of ways. But, like, I'm not, Arrogant enough. Well, I am definitely arrogant enough. But I don't. <laughs> no. I would not say that, like that. I'm a better off because of my divorce, or it's I'm mm. better because of my divorce. I'm just like I. I think like I'm somebody who sort of internalizes the change and says, "Well, I'm going to make the best of whatever it was." So I've learned something, and I'm going to make the best of it. But I don't know that it's a. I'm a better off than but, I would be. But what nothing.
1: if? What if that quality? Um, is something you need to practice. In other words, that's clearly a resilient, a quality of resilience that's helpful and good in a, in a life, but you can't just conjure it. You have to have gone through it. So to the extent you'll be better to go through the next one, it's a result of the previous one. Maybe that's right.
2: Maybe. You
3: proved ah. your capacity for that, but would you redo that year of your life if you were choosing?
2: It was the unhappiest year of my life, but I don't. That that is not the year I would redo. I would redo the year after I graduated from college because I think I could have there were paths I could have taken in life that year that I chose not to take and that was a mistake.
3: Oh but here you are with us now. Maybe we wouldn't have you with us. That's
2: true. That's I mean all things true.
3: worked out pretty well.
1: Yeah.
2: What's no. the
3: path that you didn't take that you like really wonder if you should have
1: flamenco dancer. Exactly.
4: <laughs> <laughs> you know what Dale says um sometimes the road not taken is the road best left behind. I just I, had to quote a Dale on that's that. That's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, good I
3: liked that. was very apt.
1: Wait, what is the road you didn't take? Just, oh, just it to was button just, that up. Just it was like a, there were jobs
2: like working for city governments instead of going and being a paralegal because I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Like, okay,
3: but you were a paralegal for a year okay, and then you went right. to work for city fine, paper.
1: Fine, fine, <laughs> fine, fine. I think my – <clears throat> I've uh, <laughs> been reflecting on uh, recently on – Just to how much of a jerk I was to my mother. And I think the year she got sick,
0: Mm. if there
1: had been one more year before she got sick, because what had happened was I was actually in the world, the working world, the real world, and learning more about all the ways that that crumples you and therefore gaining an appreciation for all of the things she went through. And so greater appreciation on my part, along with her being alive a little bit longer that I could Re you know, fix some of the stuff, or at least apologize for some of the stuff before probably would have been more useful.
5: Hi, this is Alan Dibner from Los Angeles, California. You get to eliminate one of the four seasons, making the remaining three longer. Which one is gone?
3: Winter, never again. Don't look at me with that <laughs> that, that northeastern look of shock that I get all the time from my Yankee husband, winter. Oh, goodbye and good riddance.
1: Does that mean no ski winter, no cold weather anywhere, or you don't experience it? So you're uh, immediately, Either. you are wiping all skiers out from the... Oh, I was wiping it out
3: of my own life. Suck it, but skiers. I don't care about the skiers. Yeah. I'm,
1: just, sorry. I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just trying to figure out exactly what your reign of terror... I mean, maybe it's, its the wrong place in
3: a world of global but you've, warming. But you have already getting...
1: Guess what? You, you, you're you getting
2: your wishes. Your wish is coming true. I mean,
3: no joke. I have... Well, anyway. Yes, I am not a fan of cold weather I at would, all.
2: I would definitely get rid of summer except for the sun... Light.
3: Like what are you talking about? Summer is so no. great. Even you like summer.
2: No, I I hate the heat. I hate heat. And I would, if I could have light but no heat, that would be perfect. But I think I would get rid of winter because it's dark all the time and that's unpleasant.
3: How many days are really too hot in the summer? Maybe in most Washington, of most yeah. of them. In <laughs> Connecticut, you think
5: most
4: of them? I think again, we're talking about like being in the air conditioned. But I love spring. I love fall. Summer is unbearable. DC. Yep. Oh, it's places in the world I only want to go to because there's only summer there. It's like.
3: Mm, that's true.
4: And I would go to Iceland and Green if, if only to see the last polar bears. Do they have polar bears in Iceland? No. Damn.
1: They've already gone. <laughs> <laughs> Greenland.
3: But would you want to go live in Greenland? If you had to pick between living in a super hot climate, like moving to Nepal, it's Nepal really cold. Nepal's hot? cold. I that's didn't a, mean Nepal. 18, I meant feet. Mumbai. Let's go for Mumbai versus oh. Greenland. Well, but that's what not fair also
2: because Mumbai is a cosmopolitan city there's tons of activity I know
3: but it's really hot I get stores. intimidated and, by and
5: hot
4: they have dust tornadoes I'm gonna live in New Haven <laughs> <laughs>
5: good hi this is Kim from Bangkok in Thailand and I would love to know would you rather an authoritarian China taking action on climate change or a China transitioning towards democracy, but unable to make drastic revolutionary changes to energy, economic, and social policy? Mm.
3: thanks huh So this is a hard one. So I as an American, you choose the first one because you care more about the consequences for the planet than for all the people in China living under an authoritarian regime, or at least like that's a defensible choice, and you're choosing for the future. But then if you think about it from the perspective of the Chinese people, the idea of them being more de- democratic is really appealing. And also maybe if they become more democratic, there are other beneficial effects for the world that don't affect climate change directly, but still are super important, though I'm a little unclear what they would be.
2: I would rather an authoritarian China taking action on climate change by far. I mean, it's it's the crisis the world faces and...
3: You're okay it, with it.
2: I'm okay with it. It's not me. Also, the Chinese living the author- Chinese living in authoritarian China. Well, this is actually I'm gonna not even finish that sentence. <laughs> I'm not going to finish that sentence. <laughs>
5: that
2: sentence is not being finished.
5: It's
3: going great for all of them, yeah. especially Peng Shui, especially the the, tennis the Uyghurs. Yeah, yeah all the Uyghurs. right. Okay. I, I
2: withdraw that statement. But
3: I mean, plenty of unhappy folk here too, but not the Uyghurs.
5: Hi, this is Katie from Melbourne, Australia. Lots of people have adopted pets during the pandemic, myself included. So is it okay to rename a pet that you've adopted, especially if they're a senior pet who has probably had that name for their whole life?
3: I'm going with no, hard no on this one. I think if the pet knows the pet's name, the pet keeps the name. It seems important. It's like a real creature with an identity.
4: I've renamed myself a few times, so <laughs> I, I think the, the, the complicated part of that question is if it was an older dog, because it's like, the, what if the dog can't learn a new name, you know? Mate. Um, so, I, I mean, I think that was the cork in the question, but nah, I just brought you home with me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to call you Taylor.
3: That yeah. is, in fact, your dog's name.
4: And your dog is a
3: puppy. Do you think if Taylor got adopted in five years, it would be okay if someone called Taylor Daisy?
4: We've already added a name to Taylor. You know, now she's now Taylor Ta- Marie. I mean, now she's, she's, Taylor, <laughs> she's Taylor Adele. She's like right. Tay Tay. She has six names. She's cool. She, you know, she's cool. As long as you give her love. For me, the question
1: is whether the dog or cat, well, cats, they don't give a damn. If the dog <laughs> accepts the new name, because we called our dog George, because. Because George's name was Sparky, I th- Yeah, Ooh. Sparky, and he was so not a Sparky. There was nothing Sparky about George. But the thing is, in response, George decided, okay, but I'm only going to listen to Anne when she calls me as George. So he didn't. You, How old was he when you got him? <clears throat> I'm not sure because he was a rescue. So he was probably like a year or so. So, so not but, you knew old. Not old.
2: Was, but you knew his name was Sparky.
1: Yes, because the the rescue that he came from had.
2: Um, but that's like a wait, you don't think a year is old for I mean that's not it's not 10. It's like
1: seven. It's like
3: it's a seven, seven. year. you I are mean,
1: right. you'd rename your son at age 7?
3: I would not Taylor. probably do that, but oh. I understand why you didn't like Sparky.
1: Yeah, he just what he wasn't a Sparky. That's but a really interesting question. He, uh,
3: what about nicknames? So the dog I'm taking care of is named Liberty. Which I like calling her Liberty, but lately I just call her Libby all the time. It seems okay, though. Like, it has the same syllable. She doesn't really come when I call her I think that's one of the
4: tenets. That's one of the tenets of a common law... Pet relationship, because when you change the name, <laughs> then it's,
2: that's a that's property rights yeah. entail hey, well, to that.
4: Well, if if Libby accepts it, yes, that's a wrap. Yeah, huh. it's adverse, <laughs> adverse say, possession. I have yeah. to say,
3: what Libby thinks of her nickname, I'm not totally sure because, huh. like I said, she doesn't seem to listen to me. Although she likes us, oh,
2: that would be a truly aggro move is to give her a totally different name while she's under your care, and such that when the her true owner comes back.
3: That seems kind of diabolical, and I would never do such a thing. Hmm.
1: Oh, dear. I it's
2: only have, have cats. I've gone to
3: a dark place.
2: I have cats, and so I don't know. I think cats, they don't particularly care.
3: Do they come when they're called?
2: Oh, my God. Did you guys ever, ever tell you about the greatest science fair experiment anyone has ever done? No. Which is my daughter when, I guess, my <laughs> youngest was six months old or so. She did an experiment. Maybe, is my baby brother smarter than my cat? And what she did is she would call them each by name. She'd have food out for each <laughs> of them. Call them each by name to see which one would get to their food sooner.
3: And did Gideon win, the child?
2: The child lost. <laughs> <laughs> the, cats, the cats were smarter than her. Actually, it was one of the cats was smarter. Timmy, who's now dead, uh, may she rest in peace, uh, was was smarter. Tulip, who is still alive and is my closest friend, did not do it. But both of them are, were, um, Gideon was clearly failed.
1: But in the range of bad options, at least the child didn't go to the cat food. That
2: is true.
4: So that you, is that is actually yeah. true. And plus, because you know the cat smelled the food. The cat probably didn't even pay any attention to the v- words. And that's why the other yeah. cat was like, I'm not hungry. <laughs> like, yeah. I'll go get it later. That's f- fair enough. <laughs>
3: also, I think dogs or cats are like two and three-year-olds, not like six-month-olds in their cognition right that's what it feels like to me like you're dealing with a toddler
1: well that's why we don't let them vote until they get older
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um, if they voted they would augment the political power of their households just think
5: hi this is mimi harlow robinson and i'm in new york city if you had an elephant how would you hide it
3: hmm challenge for us city dwellers
2: you have a house
3: i don't want an elephant in my house
2: You have all those Yale facilities you could draw on. But not just how you would house it, how you would hide it. Yeah.
4: I I would start a circus. Oh, (laughs) so you'd have to get 10 elephants. Um, No. No, no. Because I would call it the One Elephant Circus. That's not right. hidden. Everyone yes, see it, Everyone yes, it is.
3: To... Well, it yes, is. it is.
4: Because first of all, no one would look for it anymore. Because, be like, oh, that's just a circus. So they wouldn't even be looking for the elephant. And I would have an elephant on the street with me. I, I, I'd be I You'd have around PETA town.
2: protesters on your ass immediately. would be like, who? where has he stolen this elephant from? He's an elephant napper. They would have you <laughs> shut down. I, I'm, I'm gonna have you investigate it right now <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I love the I love the instinct behind it which is hide it in plain sight yeah yeah that is such a more clever way of thinking of mm. hiding it I also have no idea what I would answer
3: what where does Horton go in the dr. Seuss books there's that long journey right where the monkeys are chasing him but at one point he's in this field right I think this is when he's like looking for the who on the seed or whatever they're on on the clover and he's like in this field which is sort of like the field of opium <laughs> of poppies i should say in the wizard of oz maybe you take the elephant to a really beautiful field
4: and and for real if you want to hide the elephant you just take him to where the police don't go and, and you, you, so, you, you need, so you need it's, it's just two conditions your neighbors aren't nosy I was walking down the street one day, right? And I was talking to a friend, and somebody was like, yo, Dwayne, congratulations on that award. And then five minutes later, Dwayne, congratulations. And my friend said, are you like, yeah? I was like, nah, I'm on my street. He was like, are you safe? I was, like, <laughs> <laughs> he, was like, he was like, do you know those people? So you got to find somewhere where your neighbors... Mind their business, right? Okay. okay. What? Neighbors ignore an elephant. No, but they <laughs> mind their business. I mean, yeah. neighbors ignore heroin. So, yeah. of course, they ignore <laughs> an just, elephant. Have you been following the story in Maryland where
2: these, these people had a zebra farm? And this, five of their zebras escaped, and the zebras have now been on the run. But you're like, someone had a zebra farm in Maryland? How did that work? That'll go there. Yeah. That was you like keep... Those
4: are just horses. <laughs> yeah. I know, Mom. Right. I think those are zebras. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope, Corey, those are horses. <laughs> <laughs> mind your business. Just mind your business. All right, Gav listeners. That
2: is our conundrum show for today. Happy New Year. Happy, happy New Year. It's such a joy doing this with you. Slate Plus members, please stay on. We're going to do a lightning round of conundrums for our Slate Plus segment today. If you would like to become a Slate Plus member, go to slate.com slash Plus. It's a, just a dollar for the first month. It's great. We do bonus segments every week. It's fantastic. You also get lots of other benefits. Slate.com slash gabfestplus thank you to all of you who sent in conundrums. There are so many. We're going to keep using them throughout the year. for Slate Plus segments for other things, for our dinner parties, for conversations with our children. They're so good. We'll probably use them next year. The ones we used this year came from Richard Duke, Ryan Cummings, Zoe Cunliffe, Sean McPherson. Thank you for all yours, Sean, all several hundred of them. Harris Feldman, Alan Dibner, Alex, Phil Goldstein, Phil Thank you so much for your perennial excellent conundrums and congratulations on your wedding this year. Hamlin Jackson and Natalie Chudnovsky, what a great set of conundrums from y'all. The Gabfest is produced this week and every week by Jocelyn Frank. Our researcher is Bridget Dunlap. What a joy working with you two this year. Gabriel Roth is editorial director of Slate Audio. June Thomas is managing producer. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. Please follow us on Twitter at at SlateGabFest, tweet chatter to us there, or email us, your cocktail chatter, gabfest at slate.com. For Emily Bazelon and John Dickerson, and the delightful Reginald Duane Betts, I'm David Plotz. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next year. Hello, Slate Plus. Happy Conundrum Day. We are going to do lightning round conundrums for today's Slate Plus segment. Let's go. Would you rather give up the ability to ride a bike or the ability to swim?
3: This is a terrible choice. Giving up either is very difficult. However, since I ride my bike constantly and only get to go swimming occasionally because I don't really like to swim in the winter, see my previous answer about winter, I'm going to give up swimming.
4: I'm afraid of riding bikes, so I'm going to give up riding bikes. I
2: am afraid of swimming, so I'm going to give up swimming. The
1: one thing that can get you killed is if you don't know how to swim, so give up riding bikes. (gasps) What do you mean the one thing that can get you killed? No, I mean of the (laughs) two. (laughs) 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 Well, I'm talking in the narrow world in which you are only doing swimming or biking for the purposes of this question. But I mean, if you give up biking, you can still walk and get in a car and you can choose other... Well, in New York City,
3: biking seems really scary But if you give
1: up swimming and you somehow find yourself in a position where you were encased in water, then... Your bicycle ain't gonna do you any damn good.
3: Would you end the filibuster or Facebook?
4: I'm definitely ending Facebook.
3: I feel like the case for the filibuster is that it really does perform this particular sclerotic function in American democracy. And I think if you get rid of Facebook, something else just like eventually pops up and grows in its place. Whereas like ending the filibuster is like a game changer.
1: I'd like to associate myself with the comments from the gentle lady from the three seasons of New Haven. <laughs> I don't know. I hate them, but I hate Facebook so much. I don't think
2: I've ever hated a product as much as I hate Facebook. So I guess I'd get rid of Facebook. I don't think. T- Sorry, I should have just stopped there. But <laughs> it don't just because something else might rise in its place. Like doesn't mean that what would rise in its place would be as pernicious. And as it's not even channel though.
4: MySpace, Black Planet. You had all of these things that were here before Facebook that weren't Facebook. So it's it's just like with the N word. Like yes, you get rid of it exactly, and you don't know if if humans are going to be.
2: That was just a snippet from our Slate Plus conversation. If you want to hear the whole conversation, go to slate.com GabFest Plus to become a member today.
0: Hello, it is your partner, Big Boy, interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood? Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network that empowers you to take action, contribute to local needs, and be a part of something bigger than yourself. Visit caneighbors.com to learn more about how you can get to know your neighbor and strengthen your community. Neighbor to neighbor, it takes a neighborhood. Hello.